time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 60 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Patrick, and with me, as always, being both kind and courageous, is Aaron. I don't know about courageous patrick but i'll t- i'll take kind <laughs> one for two <laughs> at least you're <laughs> at least you're not a golden god this week <laughs> or on drugs uh, yes both both good things not to be this week at the request of my esteemed co-host we are covering the 2015 live adaptation of disney's cinderella arguably disney's most famous princess at least she gets a castle in one of the uh theme parks as, as far as i know uh, so get ready for some good conversation, good fun, and maybe just a little bit of magic. Aaron, how are you this week? I am doing very well. Um, I I actually think that might be Sleeping Beauty's castle that is the prominent one, and not At Disney Cinderella's. World of the Magic Kingdom. I don't know. I haven't ever been to that one. I was the Disneyland is the the bomb over here on the West Coast. We we okay. don't we don't travel to, to that Eastern thing. Whatever, man. That's it's way- the icon. Well, I will tell you that the castle that's depicted in the Disney uh, logo is from Disney World. Okay. And well, I believe, psh. I'm 99% sure that it's Cinderella's castle. So I'm sure someone will fact check us. I hope so. It's, it's, almost, <laughs> like, it's almost like being a politician when you have a podcast because people yeah. just like <laughs> will quickly tell you when you were wrong or quickly make fun of you, Patrick, when you don't know movie trivia. So... I will use that as a segue <laughs> to say, listeners, that uh, if you are not currently a Patreon supporter, um, we recently dropped a bonus episode last week, um, and what we did is we did our first ever kind of trivia challenge. This is going to be one of the, the many types of bonus episodes that we do on a monthly basis, and we asked each other eight random questions uh, and went through this, and, and I will tell you... This was really a battle for the least knowledgeable film critic award. Patrick and I, uh, <laughs> you know, just yeah, you got to take a listen. I, I will tell you, it was so much fun. We had a blast. There are lots of laughs, and frankly, I think that we both learned something from this trivia. And so, if you listen to it, you will as well. Uh, to get that episode, uh, like I said, Patreon supporters have access to that. All reward levels have access to our bonus episodes. So I think it's the lowest is two dollars a month. And you have full access to that growing catalog of episodes. And you help support the show, which is really awesome for us. Uh, we just we recently launched Feelin' Film Plus, a second show feed that we're slowly getting up and running and populating with new content. And, you know, doing this does have a financial cost to it. And so your support is incredible and helps take some of that pressure off us and lets us just focus on putting out stuff that you want to hear so hopefully if you're interested you'll check out that movie trivia episode it, it was definitely a lot of fun recording it the other thing i wanted to mention patrick we're not going to do what we've been up to this week uh, both of us have been really really busy leading into the summer and so we don't have anything specific we want to cover but i will tell you that i was recently on an episode of real world theology i was asked to come on as a guest and talk about a movie that i love passengers um, we I, that that we love that is a fair point patrick and i covered passengers back in december of 2016 when it came out 
And both of us have experienced a growing love for that film over time and over multiple viewings. So when I was offered the opportunity to go talk about it again, um, I, I jumped on it instantaneously. So that's a, a really entertaining episode as well. Goes in some, some directions you would never expect. So check out Real World Theology, uh, the Passengers episode. I'm on that one. And then check out their whole catalog. They've got a lot of great stuff over there. That's pretty much my announcements for this one, Patrick. Good stuff, man. I was uh, excited to hear about your appearance on Real World. I'm about halfway through the episode as of uh, this recording, and I'm enjoying it. Those guys always do a great job of opening up the discussion to topical things that I'm very interested in, and there's always some entertainment value that comes with that. So (laughs) the first half that I've listened to has been pretty good, and I'm excited to get into the second half this week. That being said, that's not the movie we're covering. We're covering Cinderella. And as always, we're going to be doing this spoilerific conversation. So that being said, if you haven't seen it, pop it in, rent it, go Redbox it, whatever means you uh, you do to actually enjoy films like these uh, or films in general, go for it. In the meantime, we're going to start talking about it. All right, so first up, as we always like to kind of get our emotional radar intact – this was a suggestion that you made, Aaron. I think this was shortly after we covered the Beauty and the Beast live action episode. Am I correct in that? That is correct. I think it might have actually been a little bit before that. I okay. checked this one out because I wanted to fill in my catalog of Disney live adaptations. Mm-hmm. So what was your uh, your initial emotional takeaway from this? I know you suggested it, so obviously it was not a downer for you. I was mesmerized by this film, Patrick. So... When I first saw it, uh, well, let's back up. When the movie came out a couple of years ago, I had zero interest in it. I had negative interest in this movie. I've never really cared about the Cinderella story. Um, I never, it's not one of the animated films that I revisit. My um, ex took my daughter to see it. So they had like a mommy daughter date. It was really sweet. They loved it and they came back raving about it. And I, I remember distinctly reading her review of it. She actually, at the time, was writing Letterboxd reviews, and she wrote this incredibly long and detailed and, and really wonderful review of Cinderella, and she gave it like four and a half stars, and I was like, wow, no way. Like, <laughs> you're overrating this. This is just not possible. This is, you're, you're crazy. And I put it aside and never wanted to see it. Then, uh, toward the beginning of this year, somewhere in there, I remember interacting with one of our podcast friends, um, Gabe Green, from the Underrated Podcast, and he was kind of raving about this film. He talked about how much he really loved it, and he just thought it was so underrated. And I said, you know what, I'm going to check it out. So I just kind of threw it on on a whim one day. I was meaning for it to be in the background without a lot of attention paid to it, really. I was just going to kind of multitask. And I got sucked into this movie, Patrick. I mean, it, it just captured my attention very quickly. The same thing happened to me when I did my most recent rewatch of this film. I put it in, kind of half expecting to, you know, pay casual attention enough to it to write down some notes of things I wasn't remembering fully or, you know, make sure I had quotes correct. And I was actually in a very bah humbug kind of mood um i actually i think i tweeted 
when I watched it, I think I'd tweeted something out saying like, I'm in a boo love sucks kind of mood. And I really don't want to watch this fairy tale right now. This film, goodness gracious, it just makes me happy. And it changed my mood. Dadgummit. It, it sucked me in again. Uh, it made me smile. It, it made me swoon and be all lovey dovey romantic feeling. And I hate it for that, but it is phenomenal and gorgeous and, so misunderstood and, and underrated in my opinion. I, I just I just adore it. I really do. And I, I'm hopeful that you did too. <laughs> well, I intentionally held back because I like <clears throat> I really like having surprise. This is what I took away from it when we have these conversations because obviously having genuine reactions is a lot better than having scripted reactions. <laughs> and I, I I would say that I had the same reaction that I did to Beauty and the Beast. And it was very good. I mean, really, really good. I think as the as the movie went on, I began to res- not resonate, but I began I began to sort of fall into the magic of the fairy tale, which, as we've talked about online and offline, that's difficult for me because I'm not a huge fan of like fantasy things, especially when you get into the world of like space opera type things or things that are just like non-connectable. I mean, this is. This would probably be the polar opposite connection that I have with, say, the uh, coming-of-age films that we've been talking about recently. You know, I deeply connect with those for specific reasons. And I think on the other end of the spectrum, fairy tales like this, um, along with your space operas and your sci-fi fantasy, I don't – it's harder for me to connect with those, not just emotionally, but even just just from a technical standpoint or a general storytelling standpoint. Mm-hmm. What this movie does, though, is just what Beauty and the Beast does. Is it takes a classic fairy tale that we become so familiar with, and it deepens it. It deepens that story with live action actors who have the ability to give us emotions that, yes, animated features do, but they're more pronounced. One thing I I really was surprised by I'd forgotten about this because I had not seen the original story, the Disney animated feature um, in a long time and still haven't. But as I was talking to my wife about it, as we were watching this, I said, when does the singing start? Because I've become so used to Disney features having being musicals more than anything else. And she said, this one doesn't have it. And I said, Oh yeah, that's right. And with that being sort of, it's, it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad thing that it didn't or it did uh, or that like something like beauty and the beast did, but it was more the fact that now this felt more, I felt like an emo- more emotional connection to it because it didn't feel <laughs> as cheesy. That being said, there's a fantastic sense that I got from this. And so as I was watching this and the bright vivid colors of the costumes and the, and the sets, I'm, I began to just really begin to adore the characters, you know, of Kit, of Ella, of very godmother, of her dad, uh, of her mom, all these characters that I was sort of halfway familiar with, as we all are with Disney fairy tales, there's a depth when it goes live action. And I think there's some real responsibility, some, some real tenderness and some real, um, just intent, intentional, um, love that writers and these directors and these people that are part of this creative team bring to these new live adaptations. I've seen them. I saw it in Beauty and the Beast 
And it shouldn't have surprised me that I saw it in a movie like Cinderella that you know took place two or three years before. So overall, my emotional takeaway was that I really, really enjoyed it, even Yay. as much as I don't care for 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 uh, for fairy tales that much. I was very impressed with this one. So it sounds like yeah, it sounds like you had a very similar response in that you didn't necessarily have an you didn't go into it with a predisposition for enjoying this type of story, but it kind of just swept you away. Right. I was familiar enough with the story. And so having that foundation, the live action iteration of it helped deepen that story, helped me get familiar with it again. And then it added some new things that I was like, golly, there's still creativity left. You know? Yeah, yeah, there really is. And it, it surprises me too, because you know, the beats and you know, the plot, you know where point A goes to point, or the end. You know what point A to point B is, but there. I love the word that you just used when describing the characters. You used the word depth, and it truly fleshes these characters out in a way that we're not familiar with. Much like Beauty and the Beast, um, they're no longer one-note tropes or kind of just stereotypes. For one thing, the character that jumped out at me the most this time seeing it was the fairy godmother. I got to tell you, I forgot who was playing the fairy godmother for a moment because this is not the type of role that Helena Bonham Carter does. Oh, yeah. I, I thought she would have been the, the wicked stepmother of right, anything. Exa- when I saw those, yeah. Exactly. I would have I picked her to be, and it was it, so weird, but cool. Exactly. It's a, and, and vice versa, actually, with the, um, the other actor, I think it's Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Okay. With Kate Blanchett, you would have pegged her for a fairy godmother. And so I think that was a brilliant choice by Brana or, uh, to, to get that and kind of flip those on their head. Now, the thing with Helena Bonham Carter that, that blows me away is that she is always, she's always the kooky, crazy, eccentric leaning toward a villainous, right? Whether it's fight club or, you know, her roles in, Alice in Wonderland, um, it you know uh, the Harry Potter series, Sweeney Todd. She's always kind of on the fringes or bad. So you put a blonde wig on her, and you make her a good guy, and she looks incredibly gorgeous, and she maintains that eccentricity about her performance that that she always brings to the table, and it's weird because she's she's truly like typecast into these roles typically. And this goes way against the grain. And so she stood out to me as a performance. It stood out to me, but it also as a writing choice and a way to make us, to give us depth to the fairy godmother beyond I'm the wish granter, right? Now there is value here. I love that they start off with her as a hag right after Cinderella has given up and said, and I love the way this works. She has just proclaimed that she's done. She says, I'm done. Not doing this anymore. (laughs) I give up. You know, this kindness thing isn't going to work out. And then right after that, the hag appears and says, can I have some milk and some bread or whatever? And her, no hesitation. And she says, of course, let me see what I have. And it just, it's, it's so perfectly captures that, that's the heart of Cinderella. No matter what she just cried and screamed to the sky that she was done, 
her heart's not going to change. It hasn't changed. It's, yeah, it's instinctual at this point. I mean, she has learned to live with this adage of having courage and being kind, invoked by her mother. The there are four words that kept coming to my mind. Uh, not those necessarily, but those were there. That's five, but whatever. You know, we're not counting. Four words that kept coming into my head was that was really unexpected. That was really unexpected. Or I didn't expect that. I think those are the things that I was saying in my head because knowing the story beats, deepening the story a little bit, adding a little bit here and there, it felt very intentional. It didn't feel like, man, we've got to figure out a way to boost this story. I mean, everybody knows Glass Slipper, evil stepmother, you know, wicked sisters, whatever, fairy godmother, pumpkin, all those things existed, but they added elements to help deepen that and help give us a really visceral connection. I say visceral, that's not the best word. Just an emotional connection that was beyond just being nostalgic for this film or for this story. And those words, have courage and be kind, became an important theme to give us an anchor to show us how Ella grew as a character. I mean, that's something that really surprised me is, is seeing round characters in a film like this, challenging those stereotypes. I agree. And I don't want to move off of that without also pointing out that I really connect with the added creation of Ella's father in this story and the scenes where Ella is shown with him. Um, that whole through line as a, as a man who has a teenage daughter um, who is blossoming into womanhood and oh my goodness, it is the scariest time of my life. It feels like, like the relationship that they have together, particularly when they're dancing and she steps up on his toes, those kind of moments. And then when she, when he's leaving and she says, you know, bring me a branch that brushes across your shoulder and because I want you I to love that. I know. I love that. And he's like, why? That's weird. And she's like, because every time you see it, you'll think about me. And I, I just, oh, it makes me melt. Like seeing the relationship and the, the, the just pure hearted love of a father and a daughter in this film and the way they show it. Fairy tales are meant to be symbolic of maybe the ideal state, I think in some ways. And what this movie does, in the same way as I think Beauty and the Beast does to an extent, is it gives us a grounded notion that we could connect with. I mean, you just done it with this father-daughter relationship. Later on, she becomes the cheerleader for Kit by telling his father, look, your son loves you. And there's an incredible moment with Kit and his dad where he's trying to, you know, his dad's dying. And you see a genuine father-son relationship, one that I can relate to, one that I will probably relate to, not that I'm dying anytime soon, but that that genuine love for, for your son, that you want him to do the right thing, but you know that at some point he's going to have to go make his own choices if he's going to be the leader that he's supposed to be. I mean, these are things that you don't explore in fairy tales. You're not supposed to explore these things. No. You're supposed to have cheesy love songs and lots of tropes and really bright colors. And it had, well, two of those. But the other thing that it had that gave it importance is the fact that we have characters that we look at and we say, that could be me. I could be that guy in some way, shape, or form. 
and we have reason we don't for instance we look at ella and we go i don't care about ella because she's being mistreated i care about ella because she she was adored and loved by her parents and she lost them both and now she's being thrown around like a servant we've get we've been given like almost two-thirds more of her life to help us inform her uh, you know inform us of why we should care about her instead of just saying well it's cinderella you should care about her because she's a servant and she's being treated like poo no that's not enough for me as a as an audience member at least not for a person that that really doesn't care too much about stories like this and i thought it was a very very well done piece of storytelling to add that yeah i i agree i I love everything about how she is shown shows her kindness in this one too. I don't know wh- how this is portrayed in the original animated film. I probably should have gotten around to rewatching that for a comparison, but frankly, it, it has never super, just interested me that much. You know, I mean, I, I all I remember is bippity boppity boo, and um, <laughs> <laughs> it has really, but um, the the consistency of Cinderella's actions in this is mind-blowing. They don't... Brana doesn't just choose one or two standout scenes to, to say, okay, here, look at this moment. She's got a good heart. She's a good person. It happens almost like every scene that she's in, she's doing something that's kind or courageous. So this it's a theme that, like, most movies cannot maintain this but he does and manages to do that and it just it's always popping up one of my favorite times being um when the messenger comes to inform her that her dad has passed away it's it's a very it's a very powerfully moving scene and of course it's frustrating because her stepmother's in the background uh, talking about we're ruined we're ruined and you just it's all about us right you want to like punch through the screen right um don't hit women that's bad but you know what i mean and um <laughs> but ella ella is talking to this this messenger this friend of her father that or clearly he was worked with her father as a carriage coach or driver or something and he's very distraught as well and she's in tears just having learned that she lost her father and her response at the very end of this conversation is that must have been very difficult for you I loved that line. I loved it. I did too. And it really stuck out at me because I was like, man, this woman just lost her dad. She knows what it means. She knows it means she's going to be living with this terrible stepmother and these horrible sisters. And she is the one who has the loss that has the best. We, we talk about this when celebrities die. Sometimes like we, we discuss kind of like the idea of acclaiming of the lost loved one, right? Like who has the most, who who gets to suffer the most or who has to su- who suffers the most because I was closest to that person. Well clearly no one is closer to her father than Ella. But her heart is worried about the other person and his pain before right. she even has time to think about her own and I just I loved it and I love that touch and she does she does this constantly even when she's, we see it again when she's fed scraps. Another one of my favorite moments, she's being fed scraps, and this you know narrator's telling us how that's all she gets when she's up in the attic, and we see her giving those scraps to the mice. Like she's not even taking the. It's almost like a, a it's like Jesus. <laughs> she, you know, she's taking the least of what the, you know, that's what we learn in parables, taking yeah. 
the little we have and giving it out to to those in need so or right. more need i just i love that that continues on throughout the whole film and it's a bold statement or a bold act a bold choice as a director as a writer as a creative team to begin your story with a a statement have courage and be kind knowing that that's going to be resonating throughout the film and i think the success of that statement is lived out through the choices that she makes what you just mentioned all of those things that you just mentioned enforce that the, that statement we 30 minutes in 40 minutes in believe that she has embraced this this mantra that her mom has instilled in her have courage and be kind I don't know of any film that would allow a character like her to hear such news about her father and to make a statement like that must have been difficult for you to include a person's outside of herself, a person's suffering and to say, I know it's hard and you know, it's hard for me, but this isn't just about me. Like even in, even in, in grief, it's not about her. You know, yes, she's lost something, but to me, that man, that is authentic grief. I mean, I'm not saying it's necessarily true or false because I go, you know, when I've lost someone, yes, I go through it and it's not fair and whatever. I've, you know, fortunately I have not lost my parents yet, but I, I feel like the honesty of that is, exists in those moments. I didn't think that she was just you know, playing a character or playing a part. I felt like she genuinely had empathy for the guy delivering the message. And that says so much about her character. And again, I, I don't like using this word because I think we use it a lot in our, you know, movie babble. Uh, it's earned. You know, the the character that's being built, that's being grown from that, is it's an earned, those portions help her earn that character characteristics of having courage and being kind. I would agree. And I, I also think the the thing about that statement, there's lots to talk about it, is about with that, that one quote, and that's, that's why it's such a big deal. Um, I love that her parents exhibit that. Um, obviously her mom giving her that advice, but there's a there's a moment with her dad in particular that I feel like is so much a leading by example type of thing. And it's, it's when he brings home or when he informs her about the stepmother and his remarriage. And I personally can connect to this on a level um, that I don't know that everybody can, but I lost my mom a few years ago. And since then, my dad has started dating in the last year or so. Um, and now, you know, oh, I he, didn't know that. Yeah, well, I was going to talk to you about that when I get to Arkansas next week, or, okay. <laughs> or late, later in this month. Um, but no, so he's he's in a relationship. It's not defined. They're not, you know, I don't think they're on their way to marriage or anything. But he enjoys spending time with this woman, and he re- he reached out to me, and he he said he wanted to have a conversation about it and ask if it was okay. He wanted to know what I thought about it and was this an acceptable thing? And it, and it, it reminded me of this scene in Cinderella because he, in Cinderella, her father says happiness. Yes. Happiness. Do you think I should be allowed one last chance at such thing, even though I thought it was done for good? And I was like, 
man, it almost brings me to tears, like reading it because I'm like, gosh, like he is in a sense, he is living out that courage because he's telling her what he wants, even though he knows it, he doesn't know it could potentially hurt her. Right. It could potentially be something that she's like, no dad, not okay. In which case I fully believe from the characterizations shown that he would say no and would deny himself because she, he wants to make her happy. So I feel like it's a very courageous thing and a very, you know, for him to have that conversation. Um, and then it's also very courageous for him to put himself out there mm-hmm. in this, in this scenario, watching my dad go through this, I would have told you, Patrick, that this would never happen. Like I, I never in a million years believed that that would happen with my father, but I see the joy and I simultaneously see and talk to him and know how much he will always love my mom. And there, there, these two, they can coexist for yeah. people who've lost someone. And I, and I now see that. And I think that this film captures it really, really well. And, and does, it pays it a lot of respect. Yeah. I want to, I want to bring a quote from, from scripture. It's from first Corinthians 13. It's one that a lot of people are familiar with. It's the quote love chapter. And there's an there's a, a characteristic of love that's 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 expressed by the apostle Paul, and he says, "It doesn't envy and doesn't boast." And the, so what I what I'm learning from that is the opposite. So what is it? What does that mean? Okay, I don't envy and I don't boast. But what does that mean? Well, it means to endorse. It means to express not only um, joy for, but fully endorse and say, you should do this. And I think that's what Ella does. I think she is showing genuine love for her dad by saying, I want this for you and I will celebrate this with you. And I can't tell you how good that feels to hear that from my wife. When my wife says, I want this for you and how much that makes me feel not just happy, but endorsed because the person I love, the person I care for the most is on my side, is on my team. And when I, when that scene happened and when she said with a smile, not with reluctance, but with a smile, yes, I want that for you. I wanted to high five her right then and say, that's what I'm talking about. That's how you genuinely love someone. And Mm -hmm. I think that we miss that in, in these fairy tales because we get, stereotypes you know we we get these disney movies where the prince is drawn to the princess because she's beautiful and cinderella doesn't do this i mean or this live action adaptation doesn't necessarily do this i mean she's not in a flowing dress when she first meets the prince he's drawn to her because of her mystique because of her ability to (laughs) control a stag right Mm -hmm. and i mean those moments kind of inform us that she's not your typical flat character that she's she's got more to offer we've seen her already with her relationship with her parents and now we see her um as the movie goes on this relationship with uh with who she doesn't know at the time as the prince and how her her attitudes the way in which she uh talks to him very you know kind of (laughs) sarcastically uh, very confidently, that's what's attractive to to him. Personally, that's what attracts me to my wife. I mean, she's an incredibly beautiful woman. And yes, when I first saw her, I was like, okay. But 
eight years being married, I look at her and I go, even on her worst days, I'm in love with her because of the fact that she offers me so much more than just this physical beauty that she brings. She brings sense of humor. She brings a sense of vulnerability to, that, to me. And I think that we get that a little bit with Ella from the beginnings with her parents. And then as the movie goes on uh, with, um, you know, with, with the prince in, in, in different ways. Yeah, I, I love the way in which they meet and which, you know, he, like you said, he's not, it's not all about her beauty. Is she beautiful? Yes. But there's so much more to it. And their dialogue in particular, it's, it's such a great conversation and, and banter to it. My, my favorite thing is that he carries it forward. When he gets back to the castle, um, he's walking through and, you know, he's talking to his 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 father and his advisors and stuff and um he's not he's not i mean he's glowing like he's not talking about how beautiful she was he's not just like oh i met this gorgeous woman in the woods we need to go find her right which is what the animated films do i don't know about if i'm saying i don't know that that happens exactly like that in cinderella but in a general sense that is how the animated films handle romance typically and instead he's walking down the corridor and he's just got this stupid grin on his face right that 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 love struck feeling that we've all had and someone asks him i think it is one of the the advisors says something about the fact that he let the stag get away like why would you do that Mm -hmm. and he just bounces and kind of giggling almost he says just because it's what it's done doesn't mean it's what should be done or something like that (laughs) you know like he quotes her back and it was clear to me in that moment that that's what Braun is trying to focus on in this story. He's trying to show us that Kit takes away a line of dialogue. He takes away something that she spoke to him with words and that she maybe taught him a lesson. That's what his takeaway from that meeting was that, that has him so enraptured with her. Not she's the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. And, and it, that is so refreshing, and, and it's one of the reasons I love these retellings that Disney is doing right now because they are they're truly fixing some of the more, you know, the less the less enticing or less I don't know what to, I don't know how to say, it, but the pieces of the animated stories that maybe we really don't want to have our daughters think that the world is like this or should be like right. This. What they're doing, I think, best is they're equalizing these characters. There we go. We don't have princes rescuing princesses or princes rescuing, you know, damsels in distress necessarily. These live action features, and I think I can speak in the same way with Beauty and the Beast, we have very powerful women. We have very strong women that exist in these roles. And in no way is that power diminishing their fairness, uh, their beauty, their tenderness in, in, with respect to their relationships with their male counterparts. We don't... I don't see anything being taken away from the story as a whole because we now have a lot str- stronger of a of a woman um, in in the role. I think Emma Watson was fantastic as Belle, and I think she brought genuineness to the character that we were familiar with, but added more to it. And I think in the same way, Ella here is doing the exact same thing. The fact that you mentioned that he takes away something that she said as a a means to almost empower himself and to kind of support that isn't just his way of saying, Oh, I think she's so great. I just want to marry her. You know, he's not doing that. I mean, he genuinely 
means that because the rest of the film really amplifies that statement. Just because it's what's been done or just because it's what's been done doesn't mean it's what should be done. And that informs the rest of the movie because he now has to pick out a, quote, princess. And he's like, no, I don't. I pick out for love, <laughs> not for the sake of strengthening the kingdom. But I think that because of this love, it will the strengthen kingdom the kingdom. will be strengthened because yeah. of the way that I'm choosing this love. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. It's, so, the movie's just chock full of those life lessons. I mean, it makes me think about, like, I want to go find our, our, uh, our contributor – our team member here, staff, Don Shanahan, every movie has a lesson. I, I kind of want to go read his review and see what he, how, how he wrote these up because I feel like there's so many here, you know, like it's much more than just the romance of it. They could, they could, they could not end up together in the end in the story. Boy and girl could not end up as a couple and the story would hardly lose any of its power. I agree. In my opinion. And that's, I agree. that's a special change. Right. There's a, there's something interesting here that I like is the fact that we still keep the fairy tale intact. We still get the really common, the really, I guess the the familiar story beats that keep us comfortable in our seats. We're not, um, I guess it's <laughs> in the world of reimagining of stories like Pete's Dragon and Tarzan and that that came out last year. Uh, we see these these retellings of of these fairy tales. And there's the there's the there's the temptation to potentially tell a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad this doesn't exist in these stories. I'm glad that we have the familiarity. One of the things I do resonate with, uh, from a technical standpoint, are are the costumes and the sets. From the very beginning, we know we're in a fairy tale because there is just this vividness, this brightness to these costumes and to, to the castle and to the land. I mean, it almost feels fake. It almost feels animated because they're, they're just, the blues are rich blues and the greens are deep greens and all these things. And at first they were a little distracting because I'm going, okay, I uh, thought I was watching a full live action thing. And now you're basically putting live action people and painting them in bright, vivid colors. However, those costumes and those sets help to enhance both the combination of telling me this is still a fairy tale, but these live action sets, these live action actors are giving me a little bit more than what I expected. And again, that came back to that. Yeah, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. But I think the sets themselves, all the, all the, all the, the visuals that were used to bring it to help tell the story really helped keep me in the fantasy world. And I think that's what is a strength of this movie is that, you know, the director didn't want to say, we're telling a completely different story. We're not going to have a kingdom. We're going to have, it's going to be like Braveheart. We're going to have very real sets, very real. I mean, <laughs> please don't give saying. Disney ideas, Patrick. No, no, no blue faces, please. At least, you know, unless you're James Cameron. Um, but I think what you have is, a smart way of telling your story by saying, we're going to give you a world that you're familiar with and we're going to enhance it as much as we can, but then we're going to give you something different. And that way you still have that security blanket that you're watching visually. And so we can intermix this dialogue and these depths of characters to kind of give us the permission to do that. Um, You know, point blank, it was a beautifully made movie. I mean, it is just stunning. I love the costumes. My wife, she'll tell you, 
when uh, when we go to movies, she focuses on the sets and the costumes and the period pieces and stuff like that. She loves that stuff. And so I immediately looked at her and I said, you're liking the costumes, aren't you? She goes, yeah. And I was like, me too. It's great. So yeah, I, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, they're they're amazing. Um, I adore them, and that's that's part of my love for this film. It's just so so incredibly gorgeous. the The scene that sticks out the most to me uh, is the transformation scene, of course. I think because it's it's the most fantastical uh, for like an animated film is when Cinderella dons her blue gown when it forms around her and the fairy godmother is is bringing it forth and you know she's she's as she's in the in in the moment of of getting this gown on her and she just says it's beautiful she'd love it and again we're going right back to she's always thinking about other people she's thinking about the fact that her dress that's being replaced was the one that her mother wore and how much her mom would love this new dress she's not thinking about herself she's thinking about how much someone else would would you know like it as well and it and i just gosh i love that and that tie in um but i like the there's like these little pearl like beads that are yeah. all throughout um both helena bonham carter's uh, fairy godmother's hair and also um cinderella's hair and and just on the dresses it's it's stunning the the, the visual pop of the different colors of the stepsisters' dresses. I'll tell you what it connects, what it reminds me of, honestly, is La La Land. And no, I'm not just trying to force, uh, you know, sh- this in here, but that's one of the things that, that really stands out to me about La La Land is the bright, popping vividness of the colors that really show. Right. They're like, okay, right. you know, Mia is the yellow. Like, we know that because she stands out as yellow, and the other person is red, and the other person is green and blue. And that's very similar to what we see here with the way the color is used. Yeah. I, I love it. I love the, Oh man. I love the design of um, the castle uniforms as well. Just that, that dark blue with the, the gold horizontal lines uh, mm-hmm. and buttons. So I am completely drawn in by that in this right. film. And, and it just, I, I, I used the word earlier in raptures me. It just, it, it captivates my attention. Mm-hmm. It makes it so that I can't look away and I can't multitask. I just want to stare at the screen because it's so <laughs> darn pretty. Yeah. It's a, it's an incredible use of, of smart design. You know, in my, in my job, part of what we try to do is to utilize multiple, what we call signal systems, uh, beyond just using words on a screen, but also providing pictures, even down to being specific and, do we use a black and white versus a color? Do we use a sepia tone if we use this photo? How do we create the user interface that's going to be appealing from a visual standpoint, not just from a navigational standpoint? And I think that films like this, when you see details like that, um, the choice to stay with a vivid color palette seems very intentional and very... Um, well, intentional is probably the best word I can think of. But what that tells me is that the creative team behind this film weren't just trying to get a cash grab. This wasn't like, hey, Cinderella is a popular fairy tale. Let's remake it and let's throw in some good name actors. No, I think this was a film 
that wanted to be made because not and it didn't necessarily need to be made. Is it but sentient? It wanted... It's a sentient film. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> make, a ship. Make me Disney. Make me Disney. Put live action people in me. No, but I keep forgetting the the director's name. Remind Kenneth, me of the director. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, so Kenneth Branagh. Um, my wife said, "Oh, Kenneth Branagh directed this." I was like, "Who's he?" She goes, "Really, really?" And so, of course, I queued up IMDb, and I was like, "Oh, dude, he's in all these great movies that I'm familiar with, <laughs> as not only an actor but also a director." Well, one thing that I remember loving back when I was in high school was hit was the, I guess the not modern but the updated, not even updated the Much Ado About Nothing motion picture okay. with this incredible cast of people, Denzel Washington and um, so many different people. And I remember going, that's a great film. Well, he directed that. And so now I want to go back and watch that because his filmography, not only as a director, but also as an actor is very much in the realm of theater, you know, and very much a character driven stories not just about the flashy effects and things like that and so i think that the meticulousness that he placed on the character development Mm -hmm. fed into the set designers and the cg guys to say look we want to make this magical it's not just a disney film this is cinderella i mean we don't want to mess this up and the care that i'm giving to these characters i want you to have the equally if not more care given to the things that are happening around them that will help reinforce the story that we're telling and i felt like that that was there i don't feel like any of it was heavy-handed i felt like everything was delicate but purposeful and when you have a film like that when you want to just i mean you really just want to hold that that film in your hand and be like oh just don't don't change because you're beautiful i think that's what that's what cinderella kind of did to me in uh in my viewing, I was like, this is a beautiful film and not just because it was fun to look at, but it's kind of like, it's not like Cinder, you know, just like Cinderella was a beautiful woman. I mean, there was so much more to her. I think the film as a whole wasn't just a beautiful film to look at. There was so much more that was impactful to me as an, as a, as an audience. And I don't think that was, you know, an accident. No, I don't either. I don't either. I mean, it, it is chock full of beauty and, um, just wonderful storytelling, and and it's it's pretty incredible that that Disney has been able to do this, because when this first started with this whole live action remake ideas, I, I was not on board. I was not a fan. I was very much a traditionalist who wanted to keep things left left alone. Don't mess with them. Don't rock the boat. Um, and I have swung the other way, man, because I just see the value. And, and there's so many great little moments of this one that I just want to bring up. And so there's one other one that I specifically want to call out. Well, there's two things. The first, the first is just funny. Anytime someone walks into your house whose cat has been named Lucifer, there should be an immediate concern, okay? Like, the person that named the cat Lucifer needs to go through a thorough background check before welcoming them, welcoming them into the home. This is a bad sign, all right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but no, the the other great moment here that I really think is worth mentioning is when Ella is – the ball is ending, okay? And um, she knows that it's it's going to, to be over. 
the way that she handles this, she's it's like she's sad, but her spirit is never broken. And I think uh, it, I think it's uh, I think that's what the narrator says. The narrator says, though Ella was sad, her spirit was not broken. She knew that the ball and her time with the prince would become beautiful, distant memories like those of her father and mother and her golden childhood. And I think that's fantastic because now we have another picture of Cinderella, another piece of her personality that is showing us that she is not someone who's going to live in worry and live in regret. She was, you know what, if this was all that, that she had was that night at the ball with the prince, she was going to remember it and cherish it and be thankful for it, be grateful for what she had instead of whining and moping and crying about what she doesn't have. And I thought that was just another amazingly succinct way to show that character trait. Absolutely. I mean, this is this woman, like this is my, this version of Cinderella is my favorite Disney princess now by, by a landslide. It used to be Belle. And I would wager that I actually like Belle in the live action better than Belle in the animated too. (laughs) But this is such a thoroughly amazing woman in so many ways that mm-hmm. this Cinderella is is absolutely like dream worthy. Mm-hmm. I agree. She's got this, but she's got this connectability that I think isn't something we get from fairy tales. There's a hint of groundedness in this amazing fantasy world. And a sense of humility that exists, something that's attainable, even up to the final moment before she goes downstairs to get the uh, slipper try on or whatever we're calling it. And she seems content in that tower. She starts to sing, not so she can get attention. The door's not open or the window's not open. She's just singing because she's content. She is satisfied. Okay, satisfied is probably not the word, but she's. She's at peace with her world because she has no regrets. She experienced what she experienced and she loved it. She grew up with an amazing mom and an amazing dad. And though she lost them and though she thinks about them, though they always carry a piece of themselves with her or she carries a piece of them with her, sorry, (laughs) she's going to be okay. I think if the – again, if you were going to take a bold step and end the movie there – where she just stays up in the tower, that would be a weird way to end the movie. Maybe a part two's in 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 in, in the works. I would have, at least in part, been satisfied with that because I would have believed that her contentment, her peace, was real. That we weren't just because that's a statement about the world. Sometimes life doesn't work out. Sometimes it just doesn't, and. So is the is the thing we pull away from this? Well, if even if life sucks, you just got to get through it. No, it's hold on to and be okay with what you have been given because there are some wonderful things that we are given that we can can cherish. And um, I think that it's um, you know, it's one of the maybe the more subtle themes. It's a, I don't know if it's an obvious theme. It seems subtle to me, but it was a very important thing to me because it as a as a human being it reminds me of just the the need to be okay with 
any and every situation that I'm in knowing that I can't be defined by my circumstances. I can't be defined. I have to have a constant thing that's going to keep me at peace. And I think that Ella has this. I think that it wasn't about an amazing ball or an amazing gown or an amazing coach or a fairy godmother. I find it really interesting that the fairy godmother, I mean, she makes that appearance and then she's done. Like she never comes back. Nope. You know? So in, in a sense, you know, she's, she's really just giving a push. She's not necessarily saying, okay, you know, you do this and I'm coming back. Um, but I think for, for, for Cinderella, we've, we've got this, you know, we've got this, uh, this person that really emits a, a, a real sense of what it's like to live life and to be okay with it. Be okay with the life we've been given because it's not, it's not bad. Right. And, they don't and, have to be that way. And you can make the best of it. I mean, it, it, you know, sure. she does that throughout. She says, I love that you brought that up, that she always sees the bright side of things. I mean, even when she goes into the attic, her comment is, well, at least there's no cats and no stepsisters. She's talking to the mice, right? Like she's being yeah. relegated to an attic to live. Like it is an awful thing that is being done to her. And she just, sees the best in everything and it's it's a beautiful beautiful thing it's just a reminder to me that she didn't need the prince to be happy oh yeah no that's a fan i'm glad you make that point that is an excellent point he they this is a good very good representation of a real relationship where the two parties complement each other Mm -hmm. but are not necessities to they are they are whole people individually that come together absolutely um well, I, I feel good about moving into our connecting points unless you've got some things you want to add. Okay. No, I'm good. Um, one real quick thing. My wife and I were talking uh, during the movie and uh, because I was so in love with the costumes and everything around it. One, I wish Hugh Jackman was the prince because, you know, it's Hugh Jackman and he'd make a great, you know, <laughs> whatever. But And she laughed and she said, of course you did. Um, but also I asked her, I said, this Halloween, would you want to go as the prince in Cinderella? And she goes, um, Why? And I said, well, if for no other reason, then I get to wear a sword and tall boots. You know, that'd be kind of fun. And she laughed at me. She said, let's just watch the movie. And I said, right on, right on. So uh, maybe this Halloween will uh, will be the, the prince in Cinderella. <laughs> well, well, we'll have to post a picture on uh, the Feeling Film Facebook and and Twitter if if you do indeed, because that that would be pretty awesome. I don't, know, who, I don't yeah. know what woman would not want to uh, – wear that dress so i think you could probably convince her seriously we'll just have to find it so also i'm glad (laughs) that it was not hugh jackman because i think that in this case the the less star power the better yeah i agree with that yeah for sure i say that i mean obviously i know you were joking but i just wanted to but you're right. That's yeah, a strength it, of the film as well. It is. It really is. The fact that, again, going back to thinking about Helena Bonham Carter um, in sort of an opposite role than what we're used to, I think that was intentional. And I think having, I don't want to say a no-name actor or an own-name actor, but having a having a woman who's not at the forefront of Hollywood, uh, at least not at the time, as your as your lead, it takes away some preconceived notions that we might have. You know, I think had somebody like Hugh Jackman or you know, Hugh Grant or any kind of chiseled face that we're familiar with been in the lead role, I don't think his believability would have been as high as as this actor, um, which was which is good. So awesome. so 
what kind of uh, as far as connecting points, where uh, where did you land? Was there was there a moment in particular that that resonated with you? There was. Um, there's a couple in this one, okay. but the one that I think there's one that I'm again we do this a lot, but I'm guessing that you're probably going to lean that way. If not, I'll bring it up later. But um, there's one that I think everybody who watches this movie <laughs> connects with, and there's another one that is a lot less in your face. It's very subtle. In fact. It is strictly one sentence. It is one line of dialogue. But this one line of dialogue was so important to me for it to be in there um, that I think it's worth noting. And that is at the very end of the film when Cinderella is leaving her home and her stepmother is like sitting down or coming down the steps and she's kind of just standing there halfway down the steps. At the very end, and and Cinderella turns around briefly and looks at her, and with the most genuine, heartfelt look on her face, she says, I forgive you. And there was no prompting for it. Mm -hmm. There was nothing that comes from the stepmother that is there. This is not a this not sarcasm. This is not. I just it is so out of the blue and shocking to me Mm -hmm. but it's like she feels that before she can leave this house there's one more thing she has to do and for her to say she forgives her stepmother in that moment meant everything to me because I feel like it brings Ella completely full circle everything that we have learned about her character up until this point all of the amazing qualities the kindness the courage the consistency of that it really nails down those actions that she's taken throughout the film that she truly does understand what it means to put everybody else first. And she is 100% selfless, 100% willing to move on from anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just thought that was a beautiful, beautiful picture of forgiveness in general. It made me think about passengers um, having recently talked about that movie again and and how that's one of the big themes in Passengers that I pull out. And I've realized, like, that's something I love to see in film that you just don't see very often. So I think it has to be pointed out and brought to the attention of, of anyone that's viewing this film how important it is that Ella take that step. That It's one right. thing to do all of these actions on her own, quietly, behind the scenes. It is another thing to directly tell the person that is hurting you that you forgive them. Right to their face. So, I really loved that little moment. I did too. I think Kate Blanchett really responds to it as an actress in an incredibly genuine way because we don't really see what her. We wonder what the expression on her face is. Is it surprise? Is it sorrow? Because <laughs> you know, is it is it weakness? Um, I, you know, from from a, from a face standpoint, just to step in a, a little bit, I, I think that there's power that Ella kind of has at that point by saying, I forgive you. It's, it's almost as if she's saying you're not as much as you thought you might have been, you're not necessarily in control of what I'm it's, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's like she's released all this control or power that maybe false or not that her stepmother felt like she had. And I think when you, when she said, I forgive you, I think it, I think it, just disarmed her it disarmed her her stepmother 
to a place where she was like, I can't, uh, I mean, I love the fact that there was no dialogue after that, that she couldn't respond to it mm-hmm. because her facial expression really said so much. And I can't even articulate it because I think there was so much going on with her that she felt both sorrow, maybe some anger, guilt, regret, all these things at once. And, um, that's difficult to do in a facial expression. I thought Kate Blanchett nailed it <laughs> because I felt that sense of, of disarmingness, disarmament. I don't know if that's the right word, uh, but that's a very powerful scene. Very powerful scene. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I think that what you point out there about Kate Blanchett's facial expression is, is equally as, as important because there are many ways to read it. And it, and it just speaks to that character development we talked about that fully fleshed out characterization of these, these people that we've seen in animated film the stepmother is just a villain. It's all selfishness. But in this mm-hmm. one, we get briefly a moment of dialogue where she explains why she is the way she is and about how mm-hmm. she's lost a husband already. And now she's just trying to do the best for her daughters. So we there, feel empathy for her, yeah. You almost, you almost get a little – well, you know what? I don't think it's empathy, but I think it's understanding. Okay. You know, like I don't know that I feel empathy. I mean I do feel okay. empathy that she lost her husband, but not – twice. Well, I'm talking about the first time is when we hear the dialogue. Okay. okay. But clearly she's made the wrong choices to go about how to move forward. But it, it does. Yeah. It gives you a, at least it gives you a reason for understanding why she's making the choices that she's making. And so yeah. there in that moment, you have a reason to believe that potentially she could be reformed or, you know, changed by that action of forgiveness. Right. And let me let me just kind of stretch out a little bit and say that, you know, from our episode a couple of weeks ago about 13 reasons why I think Ella represents a person who because of her relationship with her parents sees the best in people, even when they're at their worst. And I think that line of dialogue really said a lot about how she could see the best in her stepmother. She said, I get where you're coming from and you made some crappy choices, but I forgive you. And I understand those were, I mean, she didn't have to say she understood, but we knew she understood because she forgave her. And I thought that that saying, I forgive you, that's why we knew it was genuine, because I think she genuinely understood where she was coming from. Yeah. And I thought that's what made it just as beautiful, equally as beautiful. Yeah, for sure. What about well, you? What was your point? And, and I'm interested to see if it was the other one that I would have wanted to talk about. Well, the opening credits were just, no, I'm kidding. The, that was um, it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, go ahead. Well, when you finish a scene like that, at what I would consider like the pinnacle of, of seeing a character develop, it has to start somewhere. And for me, the initial meeting between Ella and Kit just after she chases the stag off so that he won't be hunted down was the moment that I felt like, okay, here's where everything that we've talked about tonight kind of lives in its origin. The beginning of genuine like character development of, of two people and the equalization of both uh, Kit and, and her. First of all, I love the dialogue. I thought the way she had the banter with and the way she had confidence going back and forth. I mentioned that earlier. I enjoyed the fact that they were both trying to sort of hide who they were. You know, that he asks, she asks, I, I don't remember specifically. Um, she says, she says I, I forget what she says, but it's something about how the life that he has is, is a little bit difficult, you know, day by day. And she goes, yeah, I have the same thing in my own world. And of course we know who they are. We're the omniscient kind of 
<laughs> audience that knows what's going on. The fact that the movie gives him a name, that he's not just called the prince, the fact that he has a name called Kit, <laughs> and <laughs> that he can not like the car, obviously. <laughs> I'm sorry, Michael, I'm not the prince. You know, that, no, it's, <laughs> I think the, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm deviating. <laughs> it's a terrible impression. Um, what I thought was really interesting that, that really grabbed me to the scene was the fact that he introduces himself not as the prince, but as Kit, and he almost, and he hides it. He says he's an apprentice. You know, my apprenticeship, which he's not lying, but he's not really telling the truth. He's trying to hide who he is. And I'm wondering, why are you doing that? You could just easily impress her by saying, I'm the prince and I'm amazing and look at me and all that. But he doesn't. And that tells me something. It tells me that he wants her. I think he's attracted to her and I think he doesn't want her to see who he really is at that point. Because I think that it would maybe change how she sees him because he knows that there are other maybe women out there that want him because he's the prince that she wants. Maybe he wants a, he wants this relationship with her on a level that's more real. And, you know, I think that, you know, she doesn't even give him her name, at least not that I know of Ella or Cinderella. No, there's and multiple it, times where she won't give him her name. Exactly. So, so they're both kind of enigmas to each other throughout the film, which is very kind of romantic and fun. But later on, um, and, and this moment really kind of, kind of pushes this moment. It's the moment when she tries on the slipper. And as she's going down the stairs, she says, uh, the fairy godmother's narrating, and she says, this is perhaps the greatest risk that any of us will take to be seen as we really are. Um, we've got, uh, so we've got this moment where she is going downstairs and she's probably understanding this and going back to the initial one, we see them hiding who they are mm-hmm. and they're kind of dancing around this notion that they are ready. You know, they're not ready to kind of tell each other the truth. And I think this moment, what it does more than anything is it creates ironically in this moment of half truths and kind of mystique, a sense of real genuineness because they don't become attracted to each other for the reasons that we would expect them to. She's not attracted to him because he's a handsome prince. She's attracted to him because of other reasons, because he's funny, because he's personable, uh, because he's a little goofy and he's attracted to her because she's strong and because he could genuinely see himself with her. And so when we have that coupled with that last scene of them both accepting who they are and being vulnerable with each other, I think it creates a beautiful picture of how this film and how this story is told because we get that uh, genuinely. It starts with that moment in the woods and it ends with the moment with them, with her putting on the slipper and we know the climactic moment of the film or of the story is that sl- putting on the slipper, but because of that first scene, it now feels different. It's not just about her, him finding his love and them getting married. It's about them being fully honest and open with each other. But I don't think that could have been paid off had that first scene not existed. Yep, man, that's a fantastic analysis. I'm glad you picked that moment because that was it. And I'm glad that you, pulled all that out of it because i think you said it better than i could have um that was 
That was wonderful. And and I agree wholeheartedly with all of that. There's the, you know, she says that line when the the slipper when they when they're first before they before she will admit who she is and he asks her again and he says, "You know, won't you tell me who you really are?" And she says, "If I do, I think everything might be different." And it, you're right. It's 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 they're overcoming that fear, right? Of identity, and it's it's another yet another theme we get to explore is that identity. There's another great line, man. There were so many wonderful pieces of dialogue in here. Another great line where she's talking to the the uh, footman for the coach. And he says, "I'm only a girl, not a princess," and he says, "And I'm only a lizard, not a footman. Enjoy <laughs> it while it lasts." Right and on. I was like. Gosh, you know, there's so much, so many great lessons. There's just so much to pull out of it. Um, but I love that scene too, Patrick. The the way they meet in this one completely blows the animated version out of the water. And um, to me, it's a great um, example of what a girl can aspire to. Right, a girl can look forward to a young a young woman. You know, find yourself the man that isn't just gonna chase you down because he thought you were pretty in the woods. You know, find the one that is inspired by what you have to say and by who you are and, and you know, go forth with him. <laughs> right on. There's so, equal value when it comes to love. The value of a man to a woman and a woman to a man. And Cinderella surprisingly paints this picture beautifully. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you uh, uh, pushing for this film. This was a, This was a fun watch for me. And uh, I'll confess, through our dialogue, it's been bumped up a star. So, what? Uh, so, so good stuff. So, from a one to a t- no, I'm kidding, not one to a two. Yes. <laughs> so, once we update our letterbox, you'll probably know what uh, what my final star rating is. Good but stuff. In the awesome. meantime, in the meantime, if you want to uh, continue the uh, the conversation with me, you can always find me at Shoeless Patch on the Big Three Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The first two are probably a little bit more dialogue prone uh, as a third unless you just want to see just really goofy mugs of me and my kid uh but coming next week i am <laughs> i'm so excited about this Aaron. i i, I just i know you are I i'm know. giddy uh we have we have we have two wonderful things happening we are going to be covering wonder woman uh, which i'm i'm very very excited about and our main man andrew dice omg is gonna make his triumphant return I am definitely excited about this. He's been on, uh, was it, uh, hi- not hiatus, what's the word? Um, silent, what's the word? <laughs> the critic, you can't talk, embargoed. Embargoed? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I couldn't find the word. He's been embargoed, and I'm like, I wonder if he loved it. I wonder Patrick's if he loved man it. crush is coming back on the podcast, and he can't <laughs> talk right now, okay? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, but in addition to that, there's also going to be a spoiler-free feeling it review for Captain Underpants, the first epic movie so be uh, be looking for those in the next week and uh we're excited to uh, to visit both of those yes we are patrick um if the you would like one, really i mean the second <laughs> one sure but come on let's get let's get real They're both Wonder superhero Woman. flicks man no no let's not do that don't um, do, don't put, we can equalize you know princes and 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 servant girls but we cannot you know equalize these two things so okay fine 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 well um <laughs> If you'd like to connect with me on social media, I'm all over the place at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, specifically Twitter and also on Facebook. You can find me there. 
Um, I'm constantly engaged, probably too much. So uh, I will talk to you. Don't worry. If you would like to to get a hold of me and, and have some conversation about this or anything else, please do join our show's Facebook group. If you have a Facebook and you use it with any frequency, uh, search it up, Feel and Film Facebook group. You can find a link to that on the front page of feelandfilm.com as well. But that place is wonderful for ongoing weekly discussion about all things film. Recently, we are starting a new weekly TV column, so more TV conversation is happening. Uh, it's just it's just a, a lovely place, and uh, we want more of you to come join us in that conversation and there. Lastly, I know we talked briefly about Patreon at the beginning of this episode and how the movie trivia had dropped um, more Patreon bonus content. Uh, will be coming very, very soon as well. Uh, I think that the June donor pick episode voting should be happening sometime in, in completion sometime before June the 16th. I'll tell you that for sure. So you have between now and probably June the 10th-ish, I'm guess, it's, a, it's a rough guess, uh, if you want to jump on board and become a supporter and be a part of that new voting procedure that we're doing each month. This 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 most recent month episode that we just got done doing was the Lion King. That was the pick, and we love these. It's it's a lot of fun to do this each month because it's something that our listeners, our supporters, are picking. And sometimes it's not what Patrick and I would choose, and that it, it makes it makes for a different podcast. Um, it, you know, it's something that maybe we're not quite as passionate about, and then we discover we are we are we are you know by default. So, yeah, come check out Patreon, patreon.com slash film. I think Thanks, that's man. all I got, though, Patrick. Well, that's not all you got. That's all you got for tonight. In the meantime, as we always say on the show, stay positive. And dreams do come true. <laughs> <laughs>